Welcome everyone to the Fantasy and Betting Podcast presented by the 33rd team. I am your host as always, Josh Larkey. Today we are going to be going over how to beat Yahoo and ESPN because a lot of us play on those platforms and the ADPs are pretty different platform to platform. You want to win your league. We want to win our leagues. We want to help you win your leagues. Everyone is happy. And co-host Ryan Reynolds, as many of you know, is a very big, not just fantasy and betting guy, but NFL fan in general. He watches every snap of every game. He has power ranked all 32 teams. And we are going to discuss some of the more controversial power rankings. That way, all of us out there, fan Twitter, everybody, can take a deep breath and understand that there's a method to the madness. Ryan doesn't actually hate your favorite team for the sake of hating them. Ryan, I'm going to pass it off to you now. So for everyone out there, Ryan Reynolds NFL on Twitter, keep telling him that you like him in Deadpool. I think that's hilarious. Oh, you know, Josh, I may hate some of their favorite teams. So just to put that, put that out there. Anyway, <laughs> let's dive, let's dive right into things on Yahoo. Josh, we both have Jamar Chase as our top rated player. He goes within the first three picks on Yahoo. A lot of drafters prefer Justin Jefferson. I'm fine with that. I don't have any problem with that at all. Some will take Christian McCaffrey over Chase. Some will even take Austin Eckler ahead of him. What would you say to the drafters that don't have a top three pick or those that don't want to draft Jamar Chase at all? One thing that we noticed is when we, the two of us, we hopped on a Zoom call, we, we were going through Yahoo, and we kind of noticed that most rounds, we preferred wide receiver. And round one was actually one of the rounds where we went, you know what? We might lean wide receiver, but but it's close. And I think round one of the these Yahoo drafts, that's a great time to, if you want Christian McCaffrey, grab Christian McCaffrey. If you want Bijan Robinson, a Saquon Barkley, and Austin Eckler, these are the players that I think you can draft in round one. And you might go, oh my God, I took a running back round one. You guys keep talking about receivers. And then all of a sudden you just realize next round, next round, right after that. And that there's so many great receiver values that, I actually think you are you are legally allowed to start with a running back and you can still have a very good-looking team. We'll actually talk about one of those real teams later on. Speaking of wide receivers, Josh, what's the plan for round two on Yahoo? We'll keep this quick. I mean, when you have Amon Ross St. Brown with ADP 18, Garrett Wilson going at pick 19, Jalen Waddle going at pick 21, if you're giving me two third-year and one second-year receivers, all of them with massive upside. I mean, I, I just, I'm going to rotate through those three pretty much. And I, I don't think you need to overthink that. The, the, those are the three players that should be on your draft board. We think of them as all fringe round one picks. Amon Ra actually, we think should be a first round pick. So yeah, just take, take your pick out of those three. Whichever one you want to root for, great. Take them. If I can get Amon Ra in all of my home leagues over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be absolutely ecstatic. Now, this article that we have on Yahoo includes 11 of our fades at cost in the Yahoo platform as well. It's not just all positive things. We want to keep, we want to steer you away from some options too. Now, Josh, round three is a great case study in balancing value drafting with your own player stances. With that in mind, who are you targeting in round three? So neither of us are super high on Mark Andrews in general. Uh, I, I do love that he's the number one target in the Ravens offense. He had the massive 2021 season. We think the Ravens will pass more. The issue really comes down to, we've, we're now injecting 
round one rookie wide receiver Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham Jr., who was great with the Rams prior to his injury. He's he's really been nothing but a high target earner. And then Rashad Bateman, who was one of the NFL's most efficient receivers before getting hurt last year. He has round one draft capital. He was a great prospect. I think Mark Andrews might be in line for a 20 to 22% target share. I'm worried about taking him in round two. He goes to pick 36 on Yahoo. And I think this is the perfect chance to say, you know what? Maybe not a player I've gotten a ton of on other platforms, but I will definitely be overweight the field on Mark Andrews at pick 36 on Yahoo. Yeah, same. I mean, I'm not like overly bullish or bearish on him at current costs in general in big tournaments or best ball, but I'm with you here in round three, especially at the end of round three. I'm interested. Now, Josh, when we went through this yesterday, when we went through how Yahoo is their players ranked, there was one guy I feel above all that felt like an auto draft and he's in round five. Are we on the same page in this situation here? I mean, everyone knows I'm a Chargers fan, not just because I like the Chargers, but I, I like them for fantasy. Probably yeah. going to lead the NFL in pass attempts. And if you can get the the clear number one receiver, Keenan Allen, in the fifth round, when I think he should be going in the mid to late 20s, that that's just that value is value. Uh, we'll talk about a team I drafted earlier today, later on. But uh, guess what? Keenan Allen, round five, is on that roster. Yeah, as he should be. And just, just so the people know, I'm not a Chargers fan. I'm a Giants fan, and I feel the same way. Speaking of... There's two major values in round seven here, Josh. One in particular that I'm going to try to get on every single one of my Yahoo teams. Let's dive into your beloved Chargers once more. Yeah, if the people were, were sick of hearing about the Chargers, well, <laughs> buckle up, everyone. Because in round seven, you can get uh, Mike Williams at pick 74 and Justin Herbert at pick 75. I, I don't really know why you would be taking one of these big three quarterbacks in the second round when you can get Justin Herbert, who probably scores within one to two fantasy points of them five rounds later. And if for some reason you already took a quarterback or you're like, I'm fading quarterback. I really just, I love Geno Smith or Tua Takabeloa late. Great. You can take Mike Williams, get big Mike in round seven. He goes on most other platforms in round four or round five. So for some reason, Yahoo drafters have decided they hate the Chargers. Maybe they're having uh, they're having flashbacks to last year when Justin Herbert had the rib cartilage injury, when Keenan Allen missed time, when Mike Williams missed time, when star left tackle Rayshon Slater goes down in week three and misses the rest of the season with the biceps tear. I, I don't know what's going on. It's a new season. They're all healthy. They, this team was second in the NFL in pass attempts last year behind only Tom Brady's Buccaneers. Tom Brady no longer plays in the NFL. The Chargers should comfortably lead the NFL in pass attempts this year. And then one more thing I want to mention, uh, you might be like, all right, you, you seem to really like these guys. I'm actually not playing on Yahoo, but I want to listen to your stuff. I might play on Yahoo. If you just want the, the generic, the generic in quotes rankings, my fantasy football cheat sheet is on the 33rd team.com. It's got my top 160 rankings. It's got my top 12 kickers. It's got Ryan's top 12 fantasy defenses. The top 160 rankings with full write-ups for every player is also on the site. If you want to search a player's name and say, like, oh, I'd like, I would like to read two paragraphs about this player. We've got you. My fantasy football game plan is my quick-hitting seven, eight-minute read. If you want full strategy on how to execute different really high-level roster construction moves that will set you up for success as the season goes on, 
That is all completely free on the 33rdteam.com. You can find Josh on Twitter at jlarkytweets. You know, Justin Herbert's the guy that I want to build around in Yahoo. And mm-hmm. on the Mike Williams front, Yahoo feels about Mike Williams just like you and Dave Kluge do about Alexander Madison. You guys all, you guys hate Alexander Madison. Now, <laughs> scoring on Yahoo is half PPR, Josh. How do you treat this flex spot in that kind of format? Yeah, I know a lot of the boomers out there, they say you have to have a running back in the flex. And they also like to start with their, their three running backs, sometimes four running backs. I, I actually don't hate flexing a running back in this format. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I generally try to set myself up to have receivers that can go into the flex. I like to build my depth through the receiver position. But we'll talk about a team I did shortly. And I actually might be flexing some running backs at times throughout the season. And I think that's one of the, the, the big differences when you go from standard to, to half PPR is that standard you just have to flex a running back. Half PPR, I'm like, yeah, you know what? You could go either way. It just depends on your roster. Whereas like PPR, then we start to shift more towards running backs. But I actually think it's totally fine to go either way. So I wouldn't pigeonhole yourself as to if you're a standard guy, like I wouldn't say, oh, I have to flex a running back. And if you're a PPR person, I wouldn't treat it as we need to flex a receiver. So I actually love the half PPR Yahoo setting because it allows for more flexibility and you can really have your player takes and have a, a more flexible build in those early rounds. Some people will roll their eyes at your round nine target here, Josh. He's only played 10 game, 10 NFL games in the last three seasons. Talk the good people into Michael Thomas in round nine. Well, last year in three games, Michael Thomas averaged 14 and a half, half PPR fantasy points a game, 14 and a half. That is a, oof, that's borderline a wide receiver one type numbers that that's pretty good. If we look at that, we expand that three game sample to the past three years with the 10 games. He's been pacing on a 17 game pace for 130 targets, just over a thousand yards. Michael Thomas has been in and out of the lineup with injuries, but the one consistent thing is when he's played, he, he's actually been quite good. And I know one thing that we've talked about is that sometimes like once you get past round seven, round eight, you're just looking for guys where you're like, you know what? One or two things break right. I might start them in my team or like, oh, this is this is maybe someone I start for week one and then we'll wait and see. Michael Thomas is the perfect start him wait week one. And then you see what happens and maybe you start him again because week one, they get, there's no Alvin Kamara due to the three game suspension and they get the Tennessee Titans who allowed the most passing yards in the NFL last year to opposing offenses. Their, their secondary is probably a touch better than last year. But I think it's probably still a bottom five at, at, at worst for your fantasy offense. They're a bottom 10 pass defense. Michael Thomas is going to be a plug and play wide receiver two for that first matchup and getting a, a bona fide starter like that for the early season in round nine is a, a very nice proposition. Follow Josh at Jay Larky tweets on Twitter. Now we talk about player stances a lot and I think that's very important. I think it's also easier to convey those type of concepts where roster construction and strategy are a little bit more difficult on that front. What players should drafters, drafters focus on in the later rounds? So when, when I say this, some of you out there might be like, yeah, we know. But a lot of people that preach these policies actually do not draft the way I see it. I see a lot of industry people, a lot of people in high stakes drafts, still making pretty critical errors in the late rounds. 
what you really want to do towards the end of your draft is there, there's, there's pretty much two archetypes that you want to look for rookie wide receivers with, with good draft capital. So any of the, the big four, Jackson Smith and Jigba of the Seahawks, Quentin Johnston of the Chargers, Jordan Addison of the Vikings, Zay Flowers of the Ravens. These are all great bets. If we think about last year, who do we have? Chris Olave on the Saints. We, we just had Garrett Wilson on the Jets with terrible quarterback play. Still give you over 1,100 receiving yards. Drake London broke out at the end of the season. Year after year, we get this. I mean, two years ago, we had Jamar Chase. Three years ago, we had Justin Jefferson. Like every single year, there's multiple guys uh, we got, oh, even like, what was it? Two years ago, we had Amon Ra, compl- the 33rd team's own, Amon Ra St. Brown, who, who does a show for us. He broke out where he was like an auto, auto, like what, 10, 12 targets a game week after yeah. week. That is the receiver that you should have on your bench. You should not have the, the Juju Smith-Schuster, the, the, these, these veterans where you know the ceiling's not very high anymore. Why are you just hoping, cro- crossing your fingers, that you might, oh, we might be able to flex Juju one of these weeks as a bi-week fill-in? That, that is not how you win your league. I, I, if you're, if you're, you're starting Juju consistently as your wide receiver one, wide receiver two, uh, good luck. You're not going to get first place. And then the, the other end of it is running backs. We want running backs where we are pretty confident they're one injury away from forcing them, themselves into our starting lineup. So uh, I, I know it's painful to think about, but whoever your favorite running back is, imagine them pulling a hamstring. They're out four weeks. Wh- who, who is immediately scoring 15 fantasy points a game? Like Travis Etienne goes down. I love Travis Etienne. He could get hurt. He missed all of his rookie year. Tank Bigsby suddenly steps up and starts getting 15 touches a game. And we go, oh, that, that's pretty exciting. I, I like that. And that that's really what you want to be doing as – Painful as it is to imagine your favorite running back getting hurt, that is how you should operate in the late rounds. Because if you're drafting a guy and you're like, okay, if these four things happen, I start him, you're going to be dominated by someone who loads up the back of their roster with guys where one thing needs to go right. So running backs, one injury, and now they thrust themselves into your starting lineup. Rookie wide receivers, they see the field more. And now all of a sudden you go, wow, they're getting a 90% snap share and they're getting eight, nine targets a game. I have to start them. You, you want to make it easy on yourself. Don't draft Juju and then go, Oh, well, if he returns to the form from half a decade ago, and if Mac Jones improves upon his performance from two seasons ago and the Patriots decide they're going to pass more and you know what, just at that point, I, I, I don't know what you're doing. Like if all those things go right in this alternate reality, congratulations. I like to live in a world where I just need one simple thing to happen. And now my bench players are forcing themselves into the starting lineup because you and I are the same way. We don't want to have the start sit anxiety each week. I, I loved last year when I had a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave on my team, it was set it and forget it. They, they, they flashed. And I said, this is now my starter. Uh, like uh, I remember Samaj Piran last year showed himself to be the number two back for the Bengals. Joe Mixon misses two weeks. We started Samaj P. Ryan, and we were happy about it. That is what you want for your fantasy lineup. Yeah, at the end of the day, we want difference makers, right, Josh? That's that's kind of the game plan here. We don't want we don't mm-hmm. want low floor. We don't want decent floor, high low ceiling guys. 
We want guys that can win your league ultimately. Now, Josh, as you know, we have a pretty big meeting on Thursday afternoon. Like the true degenerate that you are, you scheduled a $250 Yahoo draft for moments after that meeting's close. Run us through the results of that draft, man. Yeah, we we talked about how we we wanted an actual draft to look at and be able to make sure that the strategy article we put out is effective. I'm going to run through this draft, and I will say that even though Yahoo is a one-minute timer, the meeting, I, I showed up a minute and a half, quote-unquote, late with my fifth pick, and I got auto-picked. So the first four people must have drafted so rapid-fire that one of the few players I'm I generally have faded early round one, Austin Eckler, did end up on my team. But as we mentioned before, round one actually ends up being a good running back time. So even getting the running back I didn't love, the, the team still looks great. So here's how it started. Austin Eckler, round one. Rounds two and three, we pound the young receivers. Amon Ross St. Brown, then Chris Olave. We're, we're yeah. feeling really good. Round four, I took Brees Hall. I felt like a nice home run swing in sort of the, the late part of the fourth round. And I knew that there were running back values coming up because if you read our article, you'll know who those guys are. Round five, auto pick, Keenan Allen. We all know you just ha- you can't say no to Keenan Allen in round five. I, I thought about taking Herbert in round seven to stack with Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. I also thought about Darren Waller at tight end. And I said, you know what? I'm going to kick myself if I have Eckler and Allen on this team. And I don't get Justin Herbert. So I took Herbert in round six. Waller went ahead of me in round seven, but it's okay. We took every podcast. We talk about David Montgomery. I got David Montgomery. I know I had Brees Hall early on. So I wanted early running back production. I want a guy that's stable. And if Jameer Gibbs goes down, he elevates and becomes a league winner. So we took Montgomery. Then we we went with Marquise Brown in round eight. That felt like a good price. Ended up with Pat Fryermuth at tight end as the consolation prize for missing on Darren Waller. And then uh, I think this is textbook for how to close out your fantasy bench. Uh, went Jamal Williams, a guy who's actually a starting running back the first three weeks. And then anything ever happens to Alvin Kamara later in the season. Again, one injury away. He's the starter. Jordan Addison. Quentin Johnston, we talked about both, the round one draft capital rookie receivers. And then I ended with three running backs because we want the one injury away type guys. I don't actually know who the starter is in Miami. Ryan does not know either. I took both Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert. The way I see it is at the end of your draft, let's just just try and lock up something. You're basically trying to lock up a starting roster spot at some point. And I'm pretty sure one of these guys is going to be the main ball carrier for the Dolphins. They were both RB2s last year. We'll kind of see who it is. I've got them both on my team. And then I took a one injury away running back in Jalen Warren. Anything happens to Najee Harris, I believe the third string running back is currently Anthony McFarland, which sounds to me like if Najee Harris goes down, Jalen Warren gets pretty much all the touches. So that right there, I think, is a pretty good way to build a roster where I've got the the Chargers super stack with Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. Uh, what if Mike Williams doesn't fire? I might even be able to start Quentin Johnston on my bench. We've got the other upside receivers. And at the end of the day, Amon Ross St. Brown and Chris Olave and Keenan Allen do feel like every week starters at receiver. Pat Fryermuth at tight end isn't my favorite, but I, I think he can actually score within two to three fantasy points of the, the Hawkinsons, of the Waller types. 
And then at running back, it, it feels pretty good when you go, wow, week one, I'll start Austin Eckler and David Montgomery. I could even swap out Montgomery for Jamal Williams. And then I have Brees Hall where a couple weeks in, I begin starting him and he looks like he's probably going to be Aaron Jones plus for Aaron Rodgers in fantasy. Yeah, it's a good looking team. Um, I'm curious if you're going to start throwing out some trade offers to get Eckler off your team since you faded him. But even if you keep him, I think <laughs> the only reason I'd even consider trading him is that you have a lot of chargers to begin with. But, you know, yeah. I mean, you can't really go, you know, it, it's even if you're not taking him in general, like one of the things that I like to do, and Liam does this in best ball. If I'm, I did this with Mark Andrews last year. I faded Mark Andrews for the most part, but I took Mark Andrews in the significant season long league as a form of hedge. So even if the guy that I'm fading hits, I, I reap some benefits based on how I play. Yeah, I I would agree there. Uh, this is, I believe, my first Eckler team in a managed league. I think I have eight, nine drafts under my belt at this point in leagues that are generally. 250 or higher in price. So, uh, you know what? We've got some real money now in Eckler. We've got the 250 draft in. And honestly, the Eckler fade isn't that I think he's going to do poorly at fantasy. No round one pick do I expect right. to do truly poorly in fantasy. Right. I just think that Eckler has averaged 19 touchdowns per season the past two years. He's coming off a career high 127 targets, over 100 receptions because every Chargers receiver got injured. I think Eckler is going to finish as like the RB5. It is not that I think he's going to have some catastrophic season. I just don't really see how the RB1 overall season is in his range of outcomes this year. I think he needs too many things to go right. But it's not like I, I hate the guy. It's just you have to sort of pick your stances. And it's oh. easier for me to see Christian McCaffrey and mm -hmm. Bijan Robinson finishing as RB1 overall than Austin Eckler. Now let, let's pivot to power rankings, everyone. We'll, we'll talk about ESPN shortly. Ryan put out his power rankings on the 33rdteam.com. They're free to view. All 32 teams are ranked. And not only do you get the rankings, but Ryan gives you context behind each of his positions. Let, let's dive on in. So I didn't think there were any surprises in your top five. Someone's like, whoa, you sure? Read the article, everyone. It's, it's free. But, but, but I think we should start at Team 6. A lot of people thought it was too high to have the Cowboys at 6. Why why did you put them there so aggressively? Yeah, I mean, I'm a guy that believes in tradition. I love tradition even, but I don't really care about conventional thought processes with things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a few wrinkles in my own power rankings. And one of them, going to ground them a little bit in betting markets, how they value teams. I think that's important. I think that gives you, I think that also keeps you grounded in your own biases on teams. And two, the path to contention in your own conference has to be a factor to some degree where a lot of people, a lot of people told me, yeah, the Ravens should be six. Well, the Cowboys have a much clearer path to playing in the NFC championship than the Ravens do in the AFC championship is how I see it. So I have them all similarly tiered, similarly clustered. I'd even say teams six through 13, I probably have somewhat similarly clustered. So I have Dallas on top of that group because they've been 12 and five in the last two years. They signed Stefan Gilmore. There's our guy, Andy Benoit just put out in his cornerback rankings. The Cowboys have two top 10 corners. Now you add that to their premium defense already with Micah Parsons, who might be the best defender in the league. 
Dallas is looking at a top five defense. Brandon Cooks not only brings an upgrade at receiver this season, but he brings field stretching speed. So both units got better. Both of them have been high performing units. Dallas is one of the three consistent contenders in the NFC. You know, I think six is fair. I mean, I, I don't have too much pushback there. I, I think that's well laid out. Let's turn. We're actually just going to drop one rung down to Team 7. You have the Jaguars all the way up there. I keep hearing the Jaguars are going to Jaguar. Some people are predicting that they finish second, third, fourth in the in the division. I, I really don't understand it. I think they're a very strong team. You might like them more than me. Talk about them all the way up at number 7. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like if you said, hey, Baltimore should be seven, I don't really have a ton of pushback in like a one versus one situation. You know, I think they're very comparable. The Jaguars actually beat the Ravens last year. But the thing that the Jaguars have is actually they have two things. One is Trevor Lawrence is already knocking on the door of being an elite quarterback in his sec- entering his third season. He probably gets there maybe even by the midway point if things break the right way. Now, the, the thing here is this. The Jaguars have an advantage over all of the primary contenders in the AFC. And that said, they get to play six games within the AFC South. I, you know, our Daniel, our guy Daniel Raz was on this too. The Jaguars are a pretty interesting semi mid-range long shot. They'd be the AFC's number one seed at the end of the season. So I have them a little bit higher in the cluster than than maybe some people think I should. All right. We we've been pretty chummy to this point. I do have a gotcha moment. So Ryan, I consume all your work as everyone else should. On the 33rdteam.com, it's free. I follow you on Twitter at Ryan Reynolds NFL, like a good coworker should. <laughs> and uh, the what I did notice though is you had division by division record predictions, win loss on the site that came out last week. You had the the Jets winning the AFC East at 12 and five, and then you had the Bills and Dolphins chomping at the bit at 11 and six, right behind them. So Jets were winning the AFC East. Then I open up your power rankings and I see the Buffalo Bills at number five and then the Jets all the way down at 10. How, how do you make sense of this? And did I do I have a legitimate gotcha moment here? Sure, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd call it a gotcha moment, but I can see why you'd be like, <laughs> why is this guy doing this? So I'll explain. Like I said before, whenever you're doing any kind of rankings, you have to do your best to be ob- as objective as possible. And since we're going to do power rankings every week, particularly... Record predictions are for the whole season. Power rankings are for right now. So Buffalo's been a perennial contender for years. As Joe Banner pointed out on our first episode of the show, as long as they have Josh Allen, Buffalo's in the hunt. So I think the, the Jet, I think the Jets have ridiculous upside. If Aaron Rodgers returns to MVP form, like uh, they're going to be very hard to beat given their defense and even like their talent on offense. But on the downside, the Jets are a young team. Aaron Rodgers turns 40 later this season. And they start this season with a brutal four-game stretch with Buffalo on opening night on Monday Night Football. They play the Chiefs in week four, and I believe it's Dallas in week two. So I think Buffalo's more stable early in the season where the Jets have a, have a few wait, let's wait and see components to their, to their team and their potential success. So for now, I'll give Beth Buffalo the benefit of the doubt, even though I think the Jets are going to finish better than them as long as Rodgers stays healthy. All right, this is a gut feel prediction. What week do you see the the Jets overtaking the the Bills in the power rankings? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I could see the Jets beating Buffalo on opening night, but I'd say around like week eight, week nine, week ten is is where I I could see there being some some separation there. Let's turn to the NFC. 
The Detroit Lions are favorites to win the NFC North in the betting markets. The Detroit Lions. It's not a hot take that you have them at number 11, the highest in that division. Betting markets agree. The money agrees. Then we hit the Vikings at 15. Why do you have the Minnesota Vikings so much further ahead of the Packers and Bears? I mean, it's a similar concept to Buffalo in a lot of ways. And I'll, I'll say this, Minnesota has been one of the tougher teams for me to solve this year because from a pure talent perspective, the offense looks like it's a high-end unit. They look like that's going to be a consistent thing. And their defense was atrocious last year. We've talked about this a number of times. Daniel Jones lit him up for 300 yards twice last year. Mac Jones for 382 yards on Thanksgiving night. In particular, the playoff game against the Giants. I'm not sure I've ever seen an NFL team run a ton of crossers and drags that were just basically uncovered. So Brian Flores could transform that defense is a big ass because they're light on talent, but he can make them more competitive. So from a pure talent perspective, you can argue that they're going to be better. On the other hand, and I've talked about this a few times too, Minnesota was 11 and 0 in one score games last year. And by, by in general, I, I want to bet on regression to the mean in extreme situations like that. So based on Minnesota's success last year, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt early. I expect them to beat Tampa Bay on opening day. And, you know, ultimately the Packers and the Bears, I think they have passed to being competitive, but they have more volatility on their roster. So I'll give Minnesota the edge for now at least. That makes sense to me. One thing I'll add about the regression of the mean is some people out there, I think don't quite understand what we're thinking there. Because sometimes people go like, all right, so the Vikings were 11 and 0 in one score games, but they were a good team last year. What do you, what, you think they were yeah. going to lose those games? Let's say they go seven and four. Yeah. Seven and four is great. That, that's yeah. a very strong pace. That would have meant four fewer wins. That is how extreme the 11 and 0 is. Is that they can still be an awesome team in one score games, going seven and four, and then suddenly they don't win 13 games; they win nine. And we don't really talk about the Vikings last year. We 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 hit on the NFC North. Let's hit on the AFC North. This is the only division that has four teams in the top 17. Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, when I did record predictions, I actually have them all with at least nine wins. Mm-hmm. I don't, I like actively try to never do that. But, you know, here's the thing here. The Bengals, elite quarterback and elite offense with one of the best defensive coordinators of the game. They've played in each of the last two AFC championships. The Ravens, former MVP and Lamar Jackson, one of the most reliable teams in this century. Steelers. Mike Tomlin hasn't had a losing season in 15 freaking years. Pittsburgh is also one of the most reliable teams this century, and they improved this offseason. So I think their schedule is pretty manageable too, so I think nine wins is very much on the table again. And then there's Cleveland. We talk about this all the time, Josh. The Browns are a title contender if the 2020 version of Deshaun Watson returns to action. But they have the most volatility of this group, so I have them behind the Steelers. But ultimately, like these are four teams that can be playoff teams and even make a little noise if they get in. Yeah, that's something that I'm actually going to be looking forward to each week is how the AFC North shakes out for both just general win losses in the standings in the NFL, along with how your power ranking shifts, since that feels like a division that's going to be almost the most in flux potentially throughout the season. Now, you you are uh, at times a troubled New York Giants fan. <laughs> they made the playoffs last year. Yeah. You gave them zero credit. You have them all the way down at 18th. They are a below average team in your power rankings. Why why are you why are we not giving Daniel Jones and Big Blue, Brian Dable and company a little more credit for last season? Well, this is a complicated answer. So I'm I'm thrilled that you asked me about the Giants. First, I love the new regime. 
Co- head coaching, head coach and Brian Dable. He won the coach of the year last year. Innovative, very aware of his own team's talent, crafts his offense and their defense to, you know, basically help their guys play better. He he basically saved Daniel him and Mike Kafka basically saved Daniel Jones' career last season. So love the front office. I told you this before, Josh. Them trading a seventh round pick for Isaiah Simmons. Let's buy low on, you know, top ten picks that have failed in a different spot genuinely made me happy today. I love that move because there's really no downside there. Ryan, no. let's pause for a second. Sick. We're, we're sickos. Who, who is Isaiah Simmons? What team was he on? What position does he play for anyone that is a pure fantasy person and doesn't know defense? Isaiah Simmons. I think he was the sixth overall pick, but he was a top 10 pick by the Cardinals a few years ago. Uh, they've stuck him in as an off ball linebacker. He's probably more of a linebacker safety hybrid. Like what I'm hoping for with the giants is, they kind of put him in a in a situation where he's he's more or less positionless. So great athlete was a high performer on, on that Clemson team that had you know the Trevor Lawrence Clemson team. So again, I love taking shots at failed first rounders, especially when you can get them cheap. And you know, at at minimum, the Giants add a linebacker with range, which is something they've been lacking for years. Now let's continue with the Giants here from like a macros perspective. I think the offense is going to get better. Darren Waller is a big addition, as you know. Josh loves him in fantasy. The wide receivers they've brought in, they're clearly stacking speed. They have a plan there. If Evan Neal takes a step forward, he was the seventh overall pick last year at right tackle. All of a sudden, the Giants go from a, a volatile like 25th overall type offensive line into the middle of the pack, maybe even beyond that. So I think there's a path to that. I expect the, the coaching staff to get the most out of this team. But the thing is, the thing here is this. They open the year with a brutal eight-game schedule where they'll be playing at a talent deficit in most of those contests. People talk about last year. But jo- the, mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Jo- you said before, Josh, I've watched every snap of every NFL game since 2014. I don't do that for my health. I do that because I bet tens of thousands of dollars on football. And here's, here's, <laughs> here's what I'll tell you about the Giants. The Giants mm-hmm. win most of their games by the skin of their teeth last year in non-sustainable ways. Coaching creates margin. I could see the Giants being essentially the titans of the NFC where they continue – outplay their talent level because they're well ran but ultimately we have to be a value we have to be reality based and objective with our evaluation for these teams and i think the giants can be a playoff team but i also think they have an uphill battle in a few areas i think ryan read the show sheet let's let's we talked about the titans of the nfc let's talk about the titans of the afc (laughs) who happen to play in tennessee now you have the tennessee titans at 21st It felt like a team that was about to rebuild. I almost bet they're under in the betting markets earlier this offseason, and I held off because we've talked about this before. Mike Vrabel, their head coach, is consistently a talent maximizer. Year after year, they win more games than their roster kind of should on paper, and I held off since I thought, you know what? What if they are not quite rebuilding? And then they they sign aging DeAndre Hopkins to a two-year deal, and I think, huh, that... That does actually feel like a win now move. You have them yeah. at 21st for, I'll, I'll frame it this way for a Titans fan out there. Like what, what is there even a path to this team cracking like the, the top 12 of your power rankings or is 21st kind of like a, Hey, you, you might be, you might get up to 18. You might fall to 24, but you are the Titans. You are consistently mediocre for 2024. <sighs> Oh man, that's a brutal question because I think it's the I think it's the <laughs> latter of those two options. Uh, you know, I, I I have them pretty much. I have them where I have them for this reason. 
Mike Vrabel has been an excellent coach, like you said, a difference maker, talent maximizer. They, you know, earlier in the offseason, you know, there were rumors like, are they going to trade Ryan Tannehill? Or are they going to trade Derrick Henry? And now all of a sudden they're they're signing DeAndre Hopkins for I think it was two years, right? So they're they're signaling that they they're they're signaling that they plan to be competitive. The problem is, is in one, the AFC is just loaded with premium teams where when they have been successful under Vrabel, there's been less of that going on than there is right now. And two is Jaguars look like the new kings of the AFC South. So while I think Tennessee can be a factor and they'll probably, you know, they'll probably upset teams. And from my perspective, they're one of my least favorite against the spread teams to bet on because Rabel just Mm -hmm. pulls the rabbits out of his hat. So I do think, though, that we're looking at like 18 to 24 throughout the whole season, unless people start getting hurt. Sorry, Titans fans. Now, I know we're, we're I mean, we're getting to the end of the power rankings. We're going to let more fan bases down. Talk to me about the Patriots at 26th out of 32 teams. Yeah, I, I understood this. I understood some of the pushback on this, but here's the thing. I love Bill Belichick. When people speak badly of him in public, it's one of the few things in this whole world that like actually bothers me because it's pure insanity. Mm-hmm. This guy's an absolute mastermind, and the margin he creates on defense is unparalleled. But you know, here, here's the thing, guys. They don't have a great roster. And their opening four games might be the toughest I've ever seen. So how can Let's I be hot? How can I be high on a team that might start one in three, you know, through the first four games? They play the Eagles, they play the Dolphins, they play the Jets, and I don't remember who the other one is off the top of my head. But I mean, it's, right it's there, bad. that's a murderer's it's row. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> All right, uh, we're we're gonna upset one last fan base before we talk a little bit of ESPN strategy. The Indianapolis Colts have been in the news. Their their owner, Jim Ursay, really does not like the running back position. He could have uh, potentially extended or or did something financially for Jonathan Taylor. He decided to spend $20 million to move Shamu. I I am not kidding. I don't know where this this whale was going, but there there was an orca whale that he decided to spend $20 million to transport. We're, we're We're both animal enthusiasts. Sure. I yeah. think I think he should have done that. But when you do that, like a day after talking about why Jonathan Taylor doesn't deserve a couple more million in the bank, it gets a little bit hard to see the calculus there. Anthony Richardson does not look like he, he's ready to command an NFL offense. You have him down at 31. Is, is there any hope or is this just going to be a, a bottom feeder throughout 2023? No, I... I think there's there's a few ways to look at this. One, I think Evan Silva was the one who framed, framed it this when we had him on the show. Jim Irsay is a meddlesome owner. You know, mm. we have a rookie we have a rookie quarterback, we have a rookie head coach. Anthony Richardson's probably going to struggle early in his career because he was an inconsistent passer in college. Love his ceiling long term. Love his fit with Shane Steichen, but I think early it could be a bumpy road. This roster has a lot of what, what ifs, and it's like, oh, if Bernard Ram finished solves the left tackle position, the Colts' offensive line will be good again. Oh, maybe their defense will be better. It's like a lot of like, maybe this will happen, maybe it won't. Now here, now you have Jonathan Taylor, who's their best skill position player, seeking a trade in late August. Yeah. That's a distraction for a rookie quarterback, a tough situation for a rookie head coach who's trying to build a culture. I'll bet against that kind of situation in the short term, with the expectation that Richardson and the Colts peak later in the year. I think next year, maybe we're having a different conversation about the Colts this time. All right, everyone. That's enough. That's enough uh, depressing thoughts on the bottom of the power rankings. Make sure you check out the full article. The teams Ryan's high on, low on, 
There's write-ups for every single one, and it's a free-to-read article on the 33rdteam.com. Ryan took his sip of water. I'm going to pass it back to him so we can we can discuss some ESPN strategy. Let's get back to fantasy, Josh. We'll have an article out on the 33rdteam.com later today where we tackle ESPN drafts. The article is going to be very similar to the Yahoo article in format. We'll provide targets, fades, round-by-round strategy, and a sample draft of a zero running back team. Thankfully, you can still get Amon Ross St. Brown in the second round in most ESPN drafts. I don't know how this is happening. It should probably stop, but let's benefit from it for as long as we can. Now, Josh, what are some of the differences you notice between the two platforms? So there's two big ones. One, it's a a PPR full point per reception format. Uh, You should take your wide receivers a little earlier. You should lean into wide receiver heavy builds. So many receivers are going to be outscoring running backs in this format. Because as we all know, receivers catch more passes than running backs. So if you're going to double the value of a catch, that is inherently going to boost pass catchers up more. And uh, that also means you should probably be flexing a wide receiver. You could flex a running back in a PPR format. I have played in many, many, many PPR leagues over the years. Rarely do I see the, the winning team in a league routinely flexing a running back i'd say eight to nine times out of ten they they've been flexing a wide receiver throughout the season and then one other thing i noticed quarterbacks go earlier our our chargers love affair kind of comes to an abrupt halt when yahoo were taking justin herbert in the sixth and seventh round and then you look and it's like you know what he goes exactly where he should in the fourth round of these drafts i mean patrick mahomes goes at pick 13 that's laughable I, i would never draft him as a fringe round one pick. So those were kind of like the two big differences was PPR, so we flex a receiver. And at some point, you probably just have to pony up for a quarterback. Though someone like a Mahomes at 13, again, that is simply too expensive for our taste. Before we continue, Trey, if you're still watching, you can drop on our, you can jump on our Discord. We'll rate your team for you. Um, <laughs> now Josh, now Josh, the good people love targets and fades. On ESPN, I'm going to target Gabe Davis at around pick 120. You're getting him two rounds later than you would in tournaments or most competitive leagues. I'm very interested in upside. And further, here's the thing with Gabe Davis. If Stefan Diggs goes down, Gabe Davis's ceiling skyrockets. He can be a league winner in that situation. I'm always looking to buy guys cheap whenever I can in those situations. Now, Josh, can you give us a target or fade on ESPN? So I, I've talked pretty extensively on the, this platform. I've written articles about how Drake London just doesn't have top 12 upside in fantasy. I really do not believe he has top 12 wide receiver upside in this Falcons offense for this season. When Kyle Pitts was healthy last year, he was a not startable in fantasy. He, he really broke out at the end of the year. I think Ritter takes a step forward, but ultimately when I'm drafting a receiver in the fourth or fifth round of fantasy, if I don't think there's any chance of top 12 upside, I'm not drafting them. But for those that love the Falcons, that hate my Drake London take, guess what? I am drafting Drake London on ESPN because he does not go in the fourth or fifth round. He goes at pick 79 at the end of the seventh round. And I think that's why in betting, we call it line shopping. We can call this ADP shopping for fantasy football. And I have shopped the ADPs. I love your call of Gabe Davis at pick 120. And I I think everyone out there, should be very enthusiastic about uh, if you want to draft wide receiver heavy, Drake London, pick 79. This Jay Larky tweets on Twitter, 
Uh, you know, to piggyback on your Drake London stance a little bit here, one of the w- interesting ways to look at this is, one, Drake L- London broke the target share stat for me last year. You know, I've never been scared of it before. He it was a bit misleading with Drake London giving the pass vo- volume in that offense. Now, two, if Drake London was a Buffalo Bill, I think he's a second-round pick. But now that he's a Falcon, the volatility is definitely there where I can see why you're out on him at current cost, but why you'd want to buy him on ESPN at a value. Now, Josh... You know, let's talk about some roster construction again. Zero running back and anchor run, running back can be scary terms for many new drafters. They can even be scary from some experienced ones. I know I didn't know what they were. I, I deployed them before actually knowing what the names were years ago. So can you break down what this kind of draft could look like on ESPN and how running back production will get manufactured in those types of builds? Yeah, we we have a, a sample draft for zero RB. And you'll see this in the ESPN article on the 33rdteam.com when it hits. And I'll walk people through these first few rounds and how stacked your roster gets and then discuss how the running backs don't actually stink. Because I think the biggest thing that that people who are newer to this type of strategy, their big fear is, why would I take a zero at running back? So that that's, yeah. that's, that's the premise, right? Is I don't like zero running back or I don't like an anchor running back because... If, if my RB1 and RB2 slots give me zero points, or if my RB2 slot specifically gives me zero points, what do, we, we don't want to take zeros. You don't want to take zeros, so let, let's discuss. Here's how you can theoretically build through six rounds on ESPN. Tyreek Hill, then Amon Ross St. Brown, then Chris Olave. You have three most likely top 10 type wide receivers in fantasy. Round four, you take TJ Hawkinson. You got a locked in top five tight end. He he might even finish as, as the clear tight end two in fantasy like last season. Round five, we we take Trevor Lawrence. You, you gotta you gotta you gotta eat it at some point. You have to draft a ququarterback. They go very early. Might as well wait to round five. Once I've got three elite receivers and a tight end, you could take someone like Lawrence. Round six, I don't know what's going on with Big Mike on Yahoo and ESPN. The drafters don't want Mike Williams. We want Mike Williams in the sixth and seventh round. You take Mike Williams. Why do we need more receivers? We already have Tyreek Hill, Amon Ross St. Brown, Chris Olave, Mike Williams, quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, top five upside. Tight end is TJ Hawkinson, last year's tight end too. Then what we outline is six straight running backs. Round seven, David Montgomery. Probably a fantasy RB2. Every year he gets around 250 touches. He shares a backfield with new Lions rookie running back, Jameer Gibbs, who's 199 pounds. I'm expecting 250 plus touches for David Montgomery. And because he's 25 pounds heavier than Gibbs, he probably gets the goal line work. We all remember Jamal Williams from last year. Round eight, let's let's home run swing DeAndre Swift on the Eagles. The past three years, he's been at least the RB15 or better in PPR fantasy points per game. Change of scenery, we just need him to stay healthy. Round nine, we're we're gonna go stability with Brian Robinson. He, he had 17 carries a game last year as a rookie. He had over 30 receptions his final year in college at Alabama. If Antonio Gibson gets hurt, he actually has a bell cow all-purpose profile. And we, we do want more early round running back production. We can't just purely take too many backups at the end because again, we went zero running back. Who are we starting week one? David Montgomery, DeAndre Swift and Brian Robinson felt a little thin. Well, round 10, you can take Jamal Williams. Last year's Jamal Williams might again be this year's Jamal Williams with Jamal Williams. 
until Alvin Kamara returns from suspension those first three weeks, you at least have Jamal Williams. Your round 10 pick is starting at least three weeks for you in fantasy. Round 11, we have another guy that can just start right away if we want in Samaj Piran. I'd be shocked if Jamal Williams or Samaj Piran, if you're getting zero good running back weeks early in the season from that duo, because again, Javante Williams is, is not fully healthy. You can almost think of him as being suspended because we're not going to be starting Javante Williams in fantasy early in the season. And then now that we've locked in the, the trio of David Montgomery, Jamal Williams, and Samaj P. Ryan early, we're going to hope one of DeAndre Swift or Brian Robinson pops. You can then take Zach Charbonnet in round 12 and again hope either uh, the, the groin injury of Kenneth Walker remains into the season and he goes down due to it, or maybe Charbonnet takes over some of the goal line work and the pass catching. So many paths for him to break out. And that is how you can start with such an elite core at quarterback, receiver, tight end on a PPR platform. And then you can fire off six straight running backs to ensure that early and late, you have great options in addition, of course, to your access to the waiver wire. Josh, we'll have an update. There was cheat sheet coming out later today on the 33rdteam.com. Now, Josh, let's close out the show here. Who is your biggest late round mover in your new rankings? Joe Mixon's getting a little bit up there in age. He's had some uh, pretty bad legal issues. His rushing efficiency keeps declining. The Bengals actually suddenly have one of the best offensive lines in football. It might be a top 10 unit. It's a, a top five overall offense. We, we like Joe Mixon at this point because of the offense. Uh, we really, we want access to the Bengals. I remember last year, Samaj Piran was actually better than Joe Mixon when he got opportunities for fantasy football. Piran had three games last year with at least 15 touches. He hit 19 PPR fantasy points a game in all three games. Samaj Piran, though, is now a Denver Bronco. Based on camp reports, preseason usage, the player that's stepping into the Samaj Piran role is going undrafted in nearly all formats. With your final pick in fantasy drafts, just take running back Chris Evans. 